Turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Do you remember when you got a smartphone? Some of you are still waiting for the day, right? Uh, or maybe you're uh, wondering if you are smart enough to have a smartphone. Um, and I, I remember, uh, you know, when I, I had a, a regular flip phone or whatever, I, I think I had a razor before I had a smartphone. And uh, I remember seeing people uh, with an iPhone and and looking at them and going, what are, I wonder what they're doing on that. Like, they, and and I remember uh, knowing someone had one and they'd show me something and they'd say, hey, look 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 at look at what this can do, and I'd say, man, I gotta have one, I gotta have one. Um, and so I got one and I still can't do very much on it, but uh, it makes me feel more important that I have an expensive phone. Um, I've also gone to, uh, and by the way, the people who showed that to me, they weren't salespeople. They were just normal people. Uh, but they were advertising to me uh, that I needed one of these phones. And I've had many of them since then. Just, you know, and I'm, I'm kind of happy about it today. Not, not all that happy. Um, you, uh, uh, you've been to, uh, you've seen new restaurants pop up in town. And uh, people start talking about them. And they say, oh, it's a great place. You wouldn't believe it. You, you got to go there and get the fill in the blank. And, and they say, oh, it's just so amazing. It was so good. And, and uh, you can talk about the restaurants here in town in certain ways. If you've gone there and you like them and you have something, maybe you get. And when somebody asks you about that restaurant, you say, oh, yeah, you need to get the, this. And, and you're advertising for them. <clears throat> Uh, and so you'll go there, and if that sounds good to you, you will get that. Um, it's interesting. Uh, I, I fear going into this area, but I'm going to anyways. Um, have you met people of different nationalities? And uh, so, so uh, my family, uh, were, on my mom's side, we're very uh, American, I would say, uh, which means we don't know who we are on my mom's side. Uh, it's bits and pieces of all those European countries, and you know we we really don't know who we are on my mom's side. But on my dad's side, um, it's uh, really uh, Polish and German, mostly German, uh, lastly German, I should say that. And so, um, if you've never met someone who's German, I may be, and my dad and my sister, we may be the representatives of you of the whole German nation. Um, and uh, you will think well of those who are Germans based on your impression of us, uh, or not so, you know. Um, you know, uh, I think uh, as I'm going to go through my message today, if anything gracious comes out of my mouth, uh, that is the work of God. You know why? Because I'm German. Uh, and if God can change a, a proud German person who's not very gracious... Uh, the whole nation, but uh, into someone gracious. That's the work of God. And so there's this thing of like, we get an impression of things and we find it attractive or we find it repulsive based on really the marketing of people. I know we have advertising. We have tons of advertising. Our, our world is just filled with advertising uh, that paid people are, are trying to get us to buy. But really the advertising that usually matters most to us is knowing someone and the referral. It either makes it look good or it doesn't make it look good based upon the people that we know. 
Uh, today, I think the title of my message is something to the effect, my two favorite words or something like that. Um, it's, it's interesting. You'll ask people from time to time, what's your favorite? What's your favorite? And, and they'll, they'll like to tell you. They'll like to tell you, oh, my favorite is this or that. Um, what's, what do you think the favorite color of pants for me is? It's this color right here. I don't care what you call it, tan, khaki, whatever. Why? Because it's the pants I wear the most. Uh, for shirts, I'm getting a little wild today. I went with gray. Uh, my favorite color of shirt is black. And you didn't need to ask me, right? Right? Because most of my shirts are black, okay? I got one right here that's black, okay? Um, it, it, it's not necessarily the thing that we say is our favorite. It's the thing that we go to that's our favorite. And today, the two favorite words are complaining and arguing. Complaining and arguing. Let's go to God's Word. If you'd stand in honor of God's Word, I'd like to read to you the passage that we're going to look at this morning. We're going to start in verse 14. God's word says this, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. God, we ask your blessing on our word and our time together. I pray that my words would be an encouragement to all of us to be the people you have saved us to be. God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I didn't even uh, point it out to you, but some of you were offended, even as I shared just generally about the two favorite words, complaining and arguing, complaining and arguing. In the midst of our passage, and just to intro our passage, if you've been with us for a while and you've been going through this, if you look at chapter 2, verse 1, there's this picture, uh, and I want to tell you, this is not just good tips for everyone who happens to live. This is a charge to people who have been saved by Jesus. This is uh, the transformation that takes place in a person's life when they come to know Jesus. And it's not just a a sprinkling or a, a changing of an outfit. It's a change of a life in the, the deepest core of one's being, okay? And in chapter 2, verse 1, he speaks of the encouragement of knowing Jesus Christ. There's this amazing riches that come to someone when they come to know Jesus Christ. It's not riches that you can find in a bank account. It's not uh, possessions that are going to roll up to your uh, door. It's not even health that's going to magically come to your life and all your problems are going to go away. It's resources that come from knowing Jesus that are eternal resources that change your inner man and fit you for heaven. Okay? 
And it's on that basis in chapter 2, verse 1, that he moves on and he talks about this unity in the church, uh, this unity that's supposed to come in a place like this, a local church where we would love and care for one another and we would not argue, but we would think of one another as better than ourselves. We wouldn't be driven by the old things of, of, of pride and selfishness. We won't be driven by those anymore. We would be driven by considering others more important. And, and we see that. He goes on to speak and he says, Have this attitude that was yours, that is yours in Christ Jesus. And then it talks about what Christ did and the humility of Jesus as he came down to this earth, humbled himself to become a man. And then continue on in this humility so that he would even go to the cross for us. That he would die a death, not just die a death, but a a shameful sort of death for us. You you look at that and if you know who Christ is and you know uh, who he's described even before he comes in the Old Testament, you realize that he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that he's God in the flesh. And the idea of God overall humbling himself doesn't fit. And it doesn't fit. And yet he uses that as the path for his followers. That that we would be his followers. That we would follow in that humble path. Which brings us to our passage this morning. It starts off and it just says this. And uh, I really just have two points this morning. The first is don't. And, and the, the second is because, okay? Uh, we'll unpack that there. It's a very simple passage. We, we don't need anything fancy this morning. We just need to listen to God's Word. Don't. Uh, don't grumble or dispute or argue. Um, you, you look at it, this passage in, in verse uh, 14, it says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Um, once again, uh, what a great uh, sign that would make in your house, wouldn't it? Um, some of you say, well, I don't have any kids anymore, so there's no grumbling or arguing in your home. Uh, this idea of grumbling and uh, disputing or complaining, th- these, uh, these words, um, pretty sure that these words are connected to an Old Testament time. Not just an Old Testament time, but something that happened over and over and over again in the Old Testament. And you know what happened in the Old Testament is God chose a people, the Jews. And as He chose those people, they had this special relationship. Not unlike, uh, different, but there's some uh, things that happen to us as New Testament Christians that are very similar. And we're supposed to learn from that. This, this relationship in the Old Testament where God had with His people. And, uh, you know, one of the things, that, the, the huge events that happened in the life of God's people in the Old Testament was that they were in Egypt. They were in Egypt. Um, you trace that history, you realize that um, God preserved His people through Joseph in the end of Genesis, and He brought them down to Egypt, and they grew into this amazing nation within this confines of being slaves, and not, not so much captives, but slaves, uh, guests in the country. And then he, he took them out of Egypt. They wandered in the wilderness, 
He provided for them until they went into the promised land. And they call it the promised land because God promised that they would have it. And so we can look at that today and say, this is not about politics and who had it first and this and that. It's the plan of God worked out in his people. But the Israelites, uh, you know, if you want to turn there, I'm going to look at Numbers chapter 11 in the Old Testament. Numbers chapter 11. I know I don't uh, cross-reference very often, but I think it's important for us to get a picture of what we're talking about, this grumbling that God's people did. And as we look at this, this sounds a lot like us. It sounds a lot like us. Um, in Numbers chapter 11, I want to read to you the first uh, few verses there. Numbers chapter 11, verse 1 says this, And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about, the mis- about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, His anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So the name of that place was called Taburah, uh, because the fire burned. Uh, the fire of the Lord burned among them. Now the rabble uh, that was among them, they had uh, a strong craving, and the people of Israel again wept, wept again, and said, "Oh, that we had meat to eat." We remembered the fish that we ate in Egypt that cost us nothing and the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. And now our strength is dried up and now there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Now the manna was like coriander seed and its appearance was like that of Bedulam. The people went about and gathered it from the ground and in handmills they beat it to mortars and boiled it in pots and made cakes of it. And the taste uh, of it was like the taste of cakes baked with oil. And when the dew found upon the camp that night, the manna fell with it. You can go on and it talks more about this. But um, what that was, was this, that this amazing food that was all they needed, God provided it without them working for it. Do you get that picture that it just... It just came out in the morning. It, it was there for them, ready to go. And, and they made this food, as it describes it right there, it, it kind of sounds like um, uh, focaccia bread or something like that, right? You know, some, something that was right there with oil and they, they made something that was sufficient for them. But what they had and what they wanted were two different things. And they remembered back to something that they wanted. They wanted meat and they wanted fish and they wanted leeks and cucumbers and this, this other stuff. And uh, for us, it would have been a list, a different list, but it was something that they didn't have right now. And they felt somehow justified uh, complaining. And uh, there's this interesting thing uh, about complaining. It kind of goes like this, that um, first of all, that... Uh, in this passage, it says they were in the hearing of the Lord, in the hearing of the Lord. They were complaining in the hearing of the Lord. Um, where, where can you complain and the Lord can hear? Wherever, right? Wherever you are that you're complaining, you're in, within earshot of our God. 
who loves us so much. And so um, we don't know if there were times where people definitely in the scriptures have complained against God. And so it's important for you to remember, even if you're not directing your complaint against God, uh, as you complain, you are complaining about God, His provision for you. So really, first thing we need to get about complaining is we're complaining about God, His taking care of us. Think about that. Um, We'll come back to this, but secondly, most of the time, complaining finds uh, a target, a target, a person we can complain to or about. Uh, in, In this passage, who was it? Moses, right? Moses, you're our leader. Why don't you do something about this? Why have you done this? Why have you brought us out here? Why, you know, uh, you, you're supposed to have this great relationship with God. Talk to him for us and order up some meat, fish, cucumbers, leeks, you know, these things. These are the things that we want. These are our demands. So complaining is about God or to God, but it most of the time finds a person to do that. Um, and... Uh, Lastly, I would say this. Sometimes it's an inanimate object. Uh, It may find a a target, but uh, it might be something physical that you don't think has any feelings and you think it's okay to complain about. In this case, the manna, right? Manna has no feelings, so if I complain about the manna, it's not a big deal. It's kind of interesting. These words... um, they're not translated in the plural, but they're not words that, uh, they're words that uh, are obviously plural. They, they don't just happen once. You don't just, it's not a grumble, it's grumbling. And what is, what is grumbling going, this goes on and on and on. And it's not just that the person grumbling is repeating it over and over again. It's like it has waves and it goes out. Uh, it's like flu in your home, right? Uh, what's great about having a, a big family is you can all be sick at the same time. Or even better, uh, you can just kind of share it, you know, share it. And so there's a couple of you who are sicker than a dog, and you're like, oh, no, we just got to get through it. And then right about the time where it's about to break, a couple more break out, and they, you know, and you just share it. And so you can do this for weeks, months, instead of just a couple of days. Uh, and if you're fortunate, you can find another bug on the backside and just keep cycling through, you know. Um, some of you know what I'm talking about. You've done this. This is not something you, you're hearing about for the first time. This is what it is to grumble. This is what it is to complain. I mean, it's, it's one of the worst sicknesses that can go through your home. And I think most of us know about this, right? One person begins to complain or grumble. And then uh, it moves to another and then to another. And then it affects a whole home. And in, in our situation here, a whole church, right? Uh, it, it affects us. The grumbling and complaining. And the Israelites knew this well. I'd say this, that you have uh, complaining is against the Lord, and most of the time it finds a target, and sometimes it finds an inanimate object, and all the time it's ugly and repulsive. It's ugly and repulsive. It's unsightly. 
It's something that causes us to pull back and say, I don't want that to get on me, whatever it is. And it goes on and on and on. I was thinking about this, I was considering, why do we complain? Why do we complain? I want you to think about that right now. I'm going to get, I want you to get that answer in your mind. Why do you complain? I'm going to call on you right now. Have you stand and share your favorite reason for complaining. Let's say it this way. For the most part, it comes naturally, right? Uh, in, our, in our born, this is one of the, the, the practical reasons we know that everyone is born into sin. It's a theological reason. It's a fact of the scripture, but we know it. Uh, have any of you had to teach your kids how to complain? Uh, I was watching a couple of our little ones uh, here um, in the hallway, I think it was last Sunday, and uh, they'll remain nameless to uh, cover up the guilty, okay? And so this little girl barely can walk. Um, she's related to one of the people on our staff. That, that's all I'm going to say, the little girl. Uh, and she's, she's, she's waddling through the hallway, and one of the older kids at our church, one of the older boys, who also is related, not part of the same family, but um, uh, a staff person. Anyways, um, but um, he decides it's a good idea to pick this little girl up. And she turns her head about this close from his face and goes, Yeah! (laughs) She didn't have the right words, but she was going to complain about her treatment at that moment, clearly. She, She clearly complained. She recorded her complaint, okay? Um, You look at that, and and it comes so naturally to us, right? It comes so naturally. It's it's something that that floats off our mouth. We don't think about it. It, We find some displeasure in our heart, and immediately, boom, there it is. The complaint is registered. It's natural. It's natural. Kind of building upon this idea... um, we think it will help, right? We think complaining helps. That somehow it's the antidote to whatever's going wrong. I didn't get, I didn't get what I wanted or expected. And if I complain, if I complain, I'm going to get what I want or expect. Um, Sometimes we think that life is about us getting what we want. Getting what we want. That that's the, the end goal of life and the, the goal of the day is that I would get what I want. And so, uh, complaining is a way of manipulating or leveraging the ones in power to somehow get what I want. And if that's the end result... Complaining is the vehicle to get it. And so uh, as we uh, grumble or as we register our complaint, we give it and then we intensify the complaining until we get what we want. I, I know that sounds ugly. I know that sounds ugly, but I also know that we relate really easily to this, don't we? This is the way we work comes naturally to us we think it will somehow help or rectify the situation and thirdly we we think that it's our birthday we think that it's our birthday 
Some of you are saying, what do you mean by you think it's your birthday? On your birthday, what do you think? How do you treat your birthday? Well, I don't have to get up today. <laughs> it's my birthday. I don't have to go to work today. It's my birthday. I don't have to eat this because it's my birthday. I can eat the whole cake if I want to because it's my birthday. Today is about getting what I want, and I am the most important person. It's my birthday. Now, I, I realized, uh, I, I thought it was funny that um, my sister taught for a while at a nursery school, and at the nursery school, uh, they would have the kids' birthdays on a calendar and stuff, and um, you know, as the month changed, the kids would get super excited, and, and, and she was explaining this to me, and because it's your birthday month. <laughs> your birthday month? Wait, we get a whole month? <laughs> I mean, I've heard labor's going long, but uh, uh, a whole month? You know, you, you own the whole month? Uh, that's somehow how we think, right? Is that how can we extend the time, extend the time that I become the most important person? And what I want... And what I, because it's, this day is about me, I should complain if I don't get what I want. We think it's our birthday. This life is all about me getting what I want, and I should get what I want. And by the way, um, in the midst of this idea of talking with God and complaining, I want to encourage you um, that our prayers to God are not our complaint list to God. I'm not saying that you shouldn't be um, truthful with God. I think you should be truthful with Him. And you should confess your complaints to Him. You should confess them. But as you look at uh, Scripture, when it talks about prayer, most often the element that in the midst of prayer that is supposed to be there is what? It's gratitude, thanksgiving. It's that we pray with thanksgiving that we present our request to Him. That was fun, huh? That was the first word that we were talking about there, complaining. The second word um, is really connected as well. And it quite possibly could be an outgrowth of the first word that we love so much, the grumbling or complaining. Um, The second word, disputing, disputing. Now, it's it's not hard to get there, right? When one person is not getting their way, Uh, Most of the time it does go to another person that they complain to. But what's the problem with getting your way? Chances are if you get what you want, someone else is not getting what they want. Right? And if you have two sinful people uh, that get married, what's going to happen? Complaining and arguing. Okay? Uh, One's going to grow into the other pretty quickly. And then what happens if you have, have little sinners, right? You're saying, they grow up to be big sinners. Yeah, that's right. And, and there's this, this idea of complaining and arguing is the thing. It's going to continue to uh, amplify as we come together, okay? That 
uh, it will grow into these arguments, these disputes. And if you look at um, if you look at a church, the larger the church, the more intimate the church, and the more people there are, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Disputes are going to come. In a family, uh, some of you say, you know, we never argued in my home. And you had like a 3,000 square foot home and you didn't have any siblings, right? And so you made up friends that you could argue with, you know, in your corner, uh, you know. And, and there, there was this thing. In, in large families, it happens all the time. There's arguing and complaining and disputing. You, you bump into each other, right? It, it reveals that. And this is what happened in the nation of Israel. Uh, When things got tough, they began to complain and to argue with one another. Arguing is a little bit different, or this disputing. Um, In some people's minds, it's the logical thing, right? You have a a case to present. Uh, You're going to say, I'm going to go into lawyer mode, right? I'm going to prove to you why you should come over to my side, and I should get what I want. Let me explain it to you. And you go back and forth and back and forth. You dispute. And, and once again, it's very similar to complaining. You think it works. You think that by going back and forth, you can outlast the other person and somehow get your way in the end. It's a, it's a confrontation, right? It's a confrontation. It's you saying, you are not going to get your way with me. Nobody's taking advantage of me. I'm going to make this into something. And I would say it this way. Uh, it's the idea of persisting in disagreement until you get your way. Persisting. See, I'm not going to let it go. Not going to let it go. And what the goal is, is to get others to give in. So once again, that I get my way. I get my way. As you look at this passage, um, a couple of things I want to tell you. It says, it, it, it's, this, it's this idea that we are not to do this. We are not to do all things without these two favorite words. That as we go about this life that we live, and if you were here last week, we talked about this idea of working out our salvation. Working, being the outgrowth of why God has saved us. And what does he go transition to right away? Do everything without grumbling or, you know, or disputing. Don't have these things be a part of your life as you are working out your salvation. This should not be true of you. If you think about it, um, this is a, a church... Uh, Philippi was a church of about 12 years old probably at this time. And the excitement of a new church had probably worn off at that point. And they, uh, maybe things were getting tough and they, they were getting on each other's nerves. And it wasn't working as well. And so uh, Paul reminded them that this is not to be a part of their life. You think about what they could have been complaining about or arguing about. It could have been God himself. They, at the church at Philippi, they could have been saying, God, why ha- hasn't the church grown? Why haven't we taken over the city? Why haven't we become the majority here? Why hasn't it been easier for us? 
Maybe they were complaining about the leaders that were there. Paul was gone at this time, and there were other leaders. You can even look um, the 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 um, the letter to the church at Philippi. If you look at uh, chapter one, verse one, it says, "With the overseers and the deacons." And maybe he was highlighting that this, the elders and the deacons, the people who are serving. Uh, I'm acknowledging those people, and they were going, "Yeah, those are the people we're complaining about. Yeah, those are the people we don't like." We want to trade in our pastors, the people, the servants there. We want to get rid of them, you know. Uh, God, you got to do something about this. And he says, you know, those might be the things. It shouldn't be for you, uh, the people. Maybe it was God. Maybe it was the leaders. Maybe it was the church people. They go, you know, I want to change churches. There's no other good churches here in Philippi. But maybe I'll go to the next town. Maybe it was the the outside, outlying community, the, uh, the oppression that was happening. I hate this city. They, they're so against what we're doing here. And I lost my job and I got overlooked and I, I got stolen from because I was a believer. And there was this thing. And we don't know what they were complaining about. How about for us here this morning? Uh, for Bear Valley Church, uh, what do we complain and argue about? What are the things that bother us? And, and what we're transitioning to here, and I want you to see this. First of all, we as believers are saved into a community. We're saved into a community. Every believer uh, should be a part of a community. When I say community, I'm talking about a local church. A local church. That word community, we should probably not use that word. Fellowship. Fellowship. The sharing of life. Uh, Bear Valley is a community. We are a fellowship. We are sharing life together. We're not just sharing utilities, okay? We are, are sharing the joys and sorrows of life. We share a core conviction of Jesus Christ, okay? And so you can say we're a community, but think about it more than that. It's a fellowship, okay? We are a community, but... We are a community within a community. Think about that. I think some of you have moved from big places where it didn't matter, right? Um, you, you, you lived in one of the big cement factories of our state here, right? And, uh, you know, there's just people and streets and uh, stuff. And they, you say, I, I went to this church and people have no idea what church that is, where it is. And, like, it, it's lost in the sea of people. Um, but, but get this, we are a community within a community. Uh, you, you know this, if you've lived here a while, you realize you can't go anywhere in this town, right? Uh, if you want to yell at your wife, you can't do it out in public because somebody's going to know, right? Somebody's going to say, uh, I saw your pastor yelling at your wife, his wife in Home Depot, right? I saw him. And they're, they're like, that wasn't our guy, Pastor. Oh, yes, it was. Big guy, bald. <laughs> Never seen him before. No, uh, there, there's this thing. So we're a community, community within a community. Community within a community. Okay, so let's move on. That was uh, that which we are um, don't. That was the don't. Don't grumble and dispute. Because, okay, because, and this is, 
uh, th- this, is, this is like falling off a log. As you, as you understand this, this should be like falling off a log for us. So obvious. Uh, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Why? Verse 15. That you may be blameless and innocent. The, the problem with complaining and disputing is it's based upon your pride and selfishness that we looked at earlier, right? You just didn't get what you want. And so that's wrong, right? And so for you, it's an issue of what did God save me to be? Did, did he save me to be a sinner? No. He saved me from my sin that I might be the one that he has saved me for, to be blameless and innocent, to, to not go on sinning. He, he says to, that we would be that, that we would be blameless and uh, innocent. That as we live in the midst, that we're working out this salvation in the midst of our community, in the midst of another community, he says, I want you to be, and this is what we'll do it if you're not complaining or arguing, he says, I want you to be marked by the righteousness of God, the thing that he saved you for. I want you to be marked, I want you to live out what he saved you to be, sinless. Uh, it sounds ridiculous, but like, so he saved us from sin. Just go on sinning. Sin was awful and I needed to be saved from it. Just keep doing it. No, no, that's not why he saved you. And so he says, I want you to be blameless and innocent. I want you to grow out of this sin. I want to do the work that will bring you the righteousness that I saved you for. He uh he describes this a little bit more when he says this. He says that you may be blameless and innocent children of God. Children of God. Um, what's, what, you know, it is bad to live in a small town. It is bad to live in a small town. Um, you know, we, uh, Caleb described, uh, he, he started eighth grade here. He was in elementary school before we moved away, but then he came back in eighth grade and uh, he was kind of plowing new territory in the middle school and then uh, in the high school. And then as Caleb was, then Nathan was behind him two years. And then Daniel's three years behind them. And Anna's pulling up the rear. And this is what happens in, in a school. This is what happens on the baseball team. This is what happens in the library, okay? Uh, my kids roll in. Uh, Caleb goes, this, I'm Caleb Bosler, this and that and the other thing. And, he establishes who the Bozlers are. He establishes that. And people go, oh, you're, you're a Bozler. Yeah, I'm a Bozler. My mom and dad, my dad's a pastor. Oh, your dad's the priest over at, uh, in Bear Valley. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, whatever. Um, but uh, the, the reputation, and you will know, and you will know uh, what the Bozlers are like as you meet their kids, right? And... That's sometimes good and bad, right? Right? And, and there, there's this thing, and we know that, right? We know that, that reputation. And as a child of God, as a child of God, we represent the God who we're connected to. As an onlooking world, they may not know uh, our God, but as they meet us, they meet his children. And as, what does it look like? What does it look like if we're complaining and arguing? 
Oh, you know, we, we, we do this all the time. We do this all the time. We meet kids and, uh, and we see kids, maybe if you're a school teacher and so on and so forth, and the kids are acting up. Some, sometimes kids are bratty. I just wanted to say that. Um, but uh, you, you, you look at them and immediately if you're older, you say, their, their parents should do something about that. Or maybe, maybe you see them with uh, tattered shoes and unkept hair or something like that, and you think to yourself, their, their, their parents should do something about that. They, they, should buy, they should take care of them, right? You know, the whole lunch thing, and like, did they get lunch? And a kid says, oh, I haven't been eating in a while. And you say, well, their, their parents should do something about that. They're not taking good care of them. As you see the child, you will get an impression of the parents, and what he says is this, that as an onlooking world looks at, it, at God's people, they're going to reflect and they will, they will know who our God is by when they look at us, children of God. I want to say it this way. It may sound wrong, and maybe it is a wrong way to say it, but there should be a, 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 a jealousness that comes from uh, our relationship with God. As people see us, they go, Man, I wish I had a father like they have. I wish I was a part of that family. It should be something that they, they lean into and go, wow, I feel like an orphan compared to them. Um, as we look at the scriptures, he goes on to say this. In the midst, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. He says that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Sometimes we want to think that it's not crooked and twisted, but it is. It is. When you watch the news, when you you hear the stories, when you hear what's coming out of our community, when you read the police blotter, when you talk to your neighbor and you say, I can't believe this. I can't believe this is happening in my community. Remember this. We're not a part of that community. We're a community in the midst of this community. And for us to remember with with our homes, with our jobs, with the raising of our children, we do this in the midst of a crooked and twisted, perverse generation. We're in the middle of that. Sometimes we look for ways and we're like, oh, I don't want the world to touch my family. I want to move farther away. I want to uh, move to Idaho and then to Canada and then to Alaska. And, you know, is there anything farther than Alaska? I don't know. Uh, Not where you can live, I guess. But uh, you just want to get farther away. And some of us have come up to Tehachapi for that very reason. But know this. For all of us, we are called we are to work out our salvation in the midst of this mess that's left down here, this crooked and twisted and perverse generation. And what does he say that the, 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 what will happen? What will happen this, in the midst of this crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world? So to shine, shine in the midst of this darkness, in the midst of this. We'll talk more about that next week, but I, I just want to say this. Uh, we're supposed to make it look attractive. You know, uh, when you look at the stars at night, they're very small. 
The darkness is larger than, than, than the lights. The lights are the things that people stare at and go, isn't it be- beautiful tonight? Look at, the, look at the, the stars in the sky. I want to encourage you about that. Um, to be a light, to shine, it's to be different. It's not to be weird. Don't be weird. Don't be weird. Sometimes people look at Christianity as just being weird. Don't be weird. Uh, I, I remember... Um, we lived in the Bay Area. It's a great intro right there, right? Um, talk about being weird. And we were driving in our town, and one of our kids was small, and there was a lady riding a bike, and uh, she, was, she, was, she was 60 years old, and she was riding a bike downtown, and she was kind of swerving in and out of traffic, and she had this weird-looking dress on, and her hair was interesting. And she had this, and like, and she was wanting to be seen that day, okay? She was wanting to be seen. And I remember Rebecca and I looking at each other and just kind of rolling our eyes and saying nothing. And uh, one of our kids in the back said, that lady's freaky. <laughs> he was just saying the truth. That's not what it is to be different. That's not what it is to be different. We set ourselves apart by what? By not complaining and arguing like the rest of the world. Let me give you three things that we can do uh, when you don't like what you're getting, okay? And this is in place of complaining and disputing, right? Oh, by the way, um, what happens when you don't get what you want at Home Depot? What happens when you don't get what you want at Sonic Burger or Race Internet? Uh, what, happens, what happens when you get cut off and you get stopped at the gate, or what happens? What happens? I want to tell you, whatever happens, whatever happens, you should be able to make Bear Valley Church attractive to whoever you're talking to. That because of their interaction with you, uh, they should be able to walk in this door and see you and say, hey, it's so good to meet you this week. Thank you for inviting me to church. I want to I go to Bear Valley Church because of my interaction with you. I know that sounds tough, but it's true. That's, that's what this passage is talking about. What do you do when you don't get what you like? Well, uh, first thing I would say this is joyfully get up and change. Joyfully get up and change. There's some things that we're complaining about that God has given us everything to change it. You say, oh, man, I'm so, you know, I'm so tired. Like, I'm so tired. I'm just so tired. Go to bed. Right? No one's stopping you. You're a big person. Do what you need to do. Don't complain about things that you can change. But joyfully realize, hey, you know, I need sleep. That's why I'm tired. Okay? Sometimes we uh, say, oh, I, I shouldn't be eating this. Then don't eat it. My house is a mess. Clean it. I don't have any money. Stop spending. You know, it's not complicated. Some of these things are not complicated. So that we would joyfully do what God has entrusted us to do. Secondly, joyfully persevere in the Lord waiting for a new day. Joyfully persevere in the Lord waiting for a new day. If something came up today that you didn't like, 
But it's here. It's here. I want to just encourage you as part of God's plan. It's here today so that we would joyfully persevere. I use the word joy because Philippians is a book about joy. He's going to go right back into talking about joyfully being my life being wasted and you should rejoice in me and I in you and this is what it is. It's to rejoice that God is ours. And so the encouragement of the day, if something showed up today that you don't like, persevere in the Lord waiting for a new day. Um, things always change. Things always change. Like everything's changing. You know, if, if stuff isn't going well in your house today, persevere. Walk with the Lord today. Maybe tomorrow things will change. Persevere in the Lord waiting for a new day. And thirdly, joyfully embrace the Lord of your life and His plan for you. We sang a song today and uh, I'm a critic of all the music. Maybe you are too. Maybe it's bad. It's bad, by the way. Okay. But I'm sitting here and I go, Oh, we haven't sang that song for a while, Sovereign Over Us. Maybe we shouldn't be singing it anymore. Maybe I'll talk to Jeremy and Zach about that. But the song really spoke to me. Uh, it, it's talking about his sovereign plan, that God has a plan, and that somehow you and I are somehow fitting into this plan. Plans are still to prosper. He's not forgotten us. He has not forgotten us. And so if we have a relationship with God, we can joyfully embrace Him. Embrace Him. And know that He has a plan for us. Even if nothing changes. You you know, uh, some things won't change. I, I just said, you know, persevere and wait for things to change. Well, what if they don't change? Embrace the God who loves you so much. Send His Son to die for you wants to be your father. He made you a child if you embraced him. Embrace him. Embrace him. And know that somehow this day, this trial, whether it even goes on for a lifetime, is somehow his plan for you, not your plan for you. And you can joyfully walk in that because he is your God and he loves you very much. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, thank you for this morning. The blessing of your word. Thank you uh, for th- this group that would uh, open their hearts uh, to me and more importantly to you. And Lord, I do ask that you would remind us not to complain or argue with one another seeking to leverage and get our way, uh, but rather that we would walk with you, marking uh, that, that our lives would be marked by you and that we would follow uh, in Christ's example of not doing our own thing, but walking with you. Uh, May that be a testimony that grows this church uh, because we have made the gospel attractive because people have seen the work you've done in us. God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.